But I had a Saturday job working at Harrods in, and I was in the record department. And this is when I was still at school. And a guy there with long hair, long, he had long hair and a beard. And he said to me once, he said, have you ever heard of any Bruce Springsteen? And I looked at him and said, no, that's old people's music. <laughs> and he handed me um, Born to Run. And I remember looking at the album and I opened it because it was like a trip. It was triple, you know, and I was yeah. like, oh, my God, this is a huge album. And what I loved was the image on it because it was Bruce, you know, with the big man, you know. And together, it was very unusual to see a black and a white man together, you know, on a on an album um, or anything, any bands. There were so few bands like that. The, the band I remember was Casey and the Sunshine Band, you know. Right. Um, so that's what struck me was here was these two guys who were smiling and looked really close. Um, and Clarence had a lot of presence, obviously, as did Bruce. And so I thought, okay, let me give it a go. So I took the vinyl home and I listened to it and I was like, that was it. Blown away. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me today is a special treat. I have a spouse, a mom, an advocate for social change, um, and oh yeah, she's directed a couple of films, and one especially I think we may spend some time about. That's right, this is all about Ben Mike Beckham episode. No, 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 I'm kidding. Uh, Gorinda Shada, welcome to the podcast. Hello there, Jesse. Nice to see you. It is great to see you. Uh, so what, give us your elevator pitch. What's, what's, tell us a little bit about yourself. My elevator pitch. Um, okay. Uh, well, I'm, uh, British Indian, um, love music, (laughs) Um, love Bruce, love Bhangra, um, and love people. And I think that comes very clear in your films mm-hmm. that you you focus on, and I'm not saying anything unusual, you know, unique, but, you know, you focus on stories about people which lead to bigger themes. And, and that's that's lovely. That's just so lovely. Well, I'm so glad you took some time to spend uh, with me, uh, but I always start at the beginning. Talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to? Well, I grew up in West London and I was uh, actually born in Kenya in East Africa and I came to England as a baby uh, and Kenya was a British colony mm-hmm. um, and uh, my family background is from the part of Punjab that was partitioned in 1947, you know, when India got her independence, 
uh, the country was carved up and a line went through Punjab and Pakistan was created. And my ancestral background is on that side, on the Pakistan side. Okay. So when Kenya was uh, getting its independence, my family ancestors didn't really have a home to go back to because uh, it was now a different country. And so my father and mother decided to come to England. And so I was raised there and in West London. And um, my dad loved old Indian movies. So he used to sing a lot and he used to sing a lot of songs from these old movies. And my mum was sort of more religious, but music okay. wasn't a big thing for my mum so much, really. But my dad would love to have, they'd have these little parties and these gatherings, and then he would start singing. And then I started becoming aware of pop music, really, um, in the 60s. And I remember really, really liking Petula Clark and downtown that was a song that i absolutely loved um and i used to uh put a pretend beauty mark on my chin like she had you know and sing the song um and then i grew up through all that music the osmonds they, they were huge you were either a jackson fan or an osmond fan you know when i was growing up um and then we and then the music that really started speaking to me actually was reggae and then also, um, also the the uh, the uh, Nile Rogers sort of chic Sister Sledge type music. I loved that. I used to love also, um, you know, rock music as well. You know, not sort of heavy stuff, but just like what one would, you know, Peter Frampton kind of. I love Pete Seeger and I love Bob Seeger. Um, I liked Bob Dylan and so I had a very eclectic mix. My parents never really got into pop music. They were always into their own sort of film stuff. Sure. Um, but I had a Saturday job working at Harrods in, and I was in the record department and this is when I was still at school and a guy there with long hair, long hair, long hair and a beard. And he said to me once, he said, have you ever heard of, any Bruce Springsteen and I looked at him and said no that's old people's music <laughs> <laughs> and he handed me um, Born to Run and I remember looking at the album and I opened it because it was like a trip it was triple you know and I was yeah. like oh my god this is a huge album and what I loved was the image on it because it was Bruce you know, with the big man, you know, and together it was very unusual to see a black and a white man together, you know, on a, on an album um, or anything, any bands. There were so few bands like that. The, the band I remember was Casey and the Sunshine Band, you know. Right. Um, so that's what struck me was here was these two guys who were smiling and looked really close um, and Clarence had a lot of presence, obviously, as did Bruce. And so I thought, okay, let me give it a go. So I took the vinyl home and I listened to it and I was like, that was it. Blown away. And then, um, and then I just sort of really started 
uh, understanding the poetry and the lyricism of the songs. They were little stories and they were like little movies, you know. Um, but it wasn't until the uh, 80s. Now, I thought it was 85, but other people are telling me it was a bit later than that. But he played at Wembley Arena. And I remember going um, with some friends and... Uh, and it was, and it just blew me away. It was so different listening to him and then seeing him play. And I was in the stalls and we were on these plastic seats. And, you know, by halfway through the concert, everyone was standing up on their seats, you know, and we were all jumping up and down. So that was the first time I saw him live. And he, you know, he, I'm always drawn politically to the left. You know, I always have been. Um, because my whole political awakening was really about racism, you know, and I, and I after the, um, I first listened to Bruce, I got very much involved with um, the bands like the Specials and and people who were involved in what we called Rock Against Racism in Britain. Yes. And so I became very much a lover of, of music from the left. And with Bruce, though, you know, he always was singing about the ordinary man. And and when Ghost of Tom Joad came out, I that's when I it consolidated for me that he was a great artist. But then again, later, much later, when he did the Rising, again, I was like, wow, this he this guy is a he's like a I don't know, he's a savior, you know, the way he has so much humanity about him and the way he writes his songs but also when he chooses to to do what he does you know and how he uses his fame and his creativity to further the causes he believes in without it being really showy you know i, I mean the stuff he does for veterans you know the stuff he does for all kinds of people i mean that was that's what I thought really, really drew me to him in those early days. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
you know, one of the things you mentioned about seeing um, Clarence and Bruce on the album cover together, um, I am a relatively speaking late to the party of Doctor Who. It was uh, I, I I started. Um, you know, it was it was in the Tenet era, and I started with Eccleston. I've since back and seen a lot of classic Who, but watching the Russell T. Davies era and the Stephen Moffat era as a guy growing up in Louisiana, currently live in Texas, I I was amazed and pleased that the mixed race couples was just not a big thing in Doctor Who, right? Like in British TV, it's it's. It has gotten better in America TV, you know, in yeah. US TV, but it it just seemed, and that was something, and I think it's interesting that that early, back then, even you felt that way, you know, that the, the yeah. you know, the bands, and by the way, I was, I was on the Osmond camp, I wanted to be Donny Osmond, I wanted to date <laughs> Marie Osmond, um, you know, I just was on a podcast about part, the Partridge family, talking about Keith Partridge. So, yes, and uh, Oh my god, love the Partridge family. Yes. And oh. I I I graduated high school here the you know in the states that we call high school in 1977. So, Casey and the Sunshine Band and Peter Frampton goes alive. You were talking yeah. my childhood. Oh my god, now I've got to go listen to the Partridge family again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think I love you. The love yes, Exactly. <laughs> But, yeah, so, I mean the thing is, yeah. is that for someone like me growing up in Britain, I mean we had a lot of racism in London. You know, we had the rise of the right. You know, with the National Front, as I've shown in Blinded by the Light. You know, yes. And so it was quite a terrifying time. You know, because you had this sort of aggression on the streets and you kind of never knew when someone was going to get jumped on. But also there was this idea that the police were not on your side either, you know. Um, and that's why this whole music movement took off, you know, and um, the Rock Against Racism movement took off. And it just basically said it's really uncool to be racist, basically. Um, that, and it really made a big difference. It really, really did. And the more bands that got behind it, it was like a great outlet for people to say, well, Britain has changed. Britain is this. Because these are kids who were born in Britain, raised in Britain. They're British. And so my very first film that I made was called I'm British, but dot, dot, dot. And so there were lots of talks about identity, you know, at that time. And so for me, I was always looking for um, images of me or people like me on, on the screen or in the creative arts. And that's really why I became a filmmaker. I mean, I became a journalist first and then a filmmaker. And, and the and the idea was to you know create more stories that show people like me. Wait, and one of the questions I I had for you and um, did you you started as a journalist, but did you did you always know that you wanted to be in the creative arts to to be either a writer and and what no. what no. what led you to no. being a filmmaker? <laughs> Well, I at school, my favourite subject was geography. Okay. And I loved geography. 
I still love geography. Okay. I my pride, the pride of my collection was my uh, it, a pride of my my pride possessions was my rock collection. Okay. Uh, and I had rocks from volcanic rocks from uh, an eruption from Mount Etna. I had quartz from North Wales. I mean, I had a, a rock collection that I lovingly varnished at one point. <laughs> so everything yeah. shined. Like, it was my pride and joy, this thing. And so I always thought I would do something to connect with geography. But as it happens, I ended up doing human geography and and what we called then development geography or third world economics right. and politics. Um, Interestingly, when I was at college, India and China were both third world countries, considered third world countries. So no one saw that coming back then. No. But, <laughs> but basically, it was during that um, I started becoming more aware of the role of the media mm -hmm. in telling stories and perpetuating stories and the power of the media. And so I thought, okay, I need to become a journalist so I can redress balances and tell authentic stories. And so I did a postgraduate diploma in journalism. And then I worked with the BBC for a while, but I never ever anticipated being a film director. I mean, that just people, who were film directors didn't look like me, you know? Right. Um, and so it was really through journalism. And then from journalism, I went into TV. And then in Britain, this amazing thing happened. We, um, this music started coming off the streets, which was uh, called Bhangra music. It was fusion. So Bhangra was a traditional kind of Punjabi celebratory dance and wedding music. And people started fusing it with pop and reggae and soul and and I was blown away by this uh, because I finally felt like here was something that that represented me you know this was British fusion stuff um I have I had an episode of that I, I had a scene of that in Blinded by the Light yes you know where we had these daytime discos so that's what we used to do we had these daytime discos and it was that music that uh, that um pushed me into wanting to make a film about it and that's how I made my first film and and it was ostensibly about the music but it was also about being British and Indian and then the nice woman Karen Bambra who used to run the film four at the time which was channel four they, they made amazing uh, British films like the crying game and um, lots of great British films um, she saw my short and said, oh, this is a new voice. We need to develop this voice. And she basically plucked me out and then helped me develop my very first feature, which was called Bargy on the Beach. And that's how I became a film director. You know, one of the things I, when I heard that there was going to be a Blinded by the Light movie, I immediately went out and bought um Mr. Bansor's book, right? I, you know, and I and yeah. I read it, and and I ended up sending him a tweet and, and telling him that the I I was really I I've never had that struggle because you know I'm a I'm a short fat white guy, you know, growing up in Texas or Louisiana and now in Texas, and the I loved that struggle of I am British, but I am also something else. 
And you yeah. mentioned that a couple of times in your discussion that in a lot of ways you have you, a dual identity and it's in both of them are just as important. Yeah. Well, you know, I really feel sorry for people who don't have languages, right. you know, who can't speak more languages yes. or, you know, don't have a whole other cultural heritage to reach into right. as well as, you know, the, uh, you know, the, what we call multiculturalism, you know, yep. I mean, it's just wonderful being able to access so many different um, traditions and rituals and and it's and it's very enriching. But when I was growing up, it was seen as a problem. You know, it was seen as, oh, you don't know who you are. You know, you've got an identity crisis or you, you, you know, you, you're confused about who you are. Right. And we the kids we never felt that because we were always like okay well we know we're this we know we're that we have to negotiate it and for so long the west sort of saw it as a problem but what people like me started doing and safras you know we would say okay well we are this but we're also this so how are we yeah. going to negotiate it but we would do it with affection you know yes um that's the most important thing and i think with safras you know he you know, Bruce was something else, meant something else to Safraz, you know, um, uh, in a in a much bigger way. And the reason Safraz and I connected is because he wrote an article in the newspaper about going to see Bruce, right? And he actually had this weird picture of him with Bruce or something. Yes. And, um, and I got in touch with him and I said, um... I think we must be the two only Asians in Britain, you know, who like Ruth. Right. We should get together, you know. And that's how we met. And and he and we've talked about this before, but he, he mentioned how struck he was that the the album I kept quoting was Ghost of Tom Joad, because it isn't one of the obvious ones, you right. know. Uh, wasn't Badlands or Born to Run or you know. Yeah. And um and so then when he wrote his book um he sent it to me and i read it and i said okay i know how to make this a really good film because i'd made bend it like beckham by then you know yes so i said i know how to do it and i said but we need but we're gonna need bruce on side otherwise yeah. we'll never be able to make the film um and then we we were both sort of thinking well how are we going to get him on side you yeah. know because uh, we, we're going to need the music, you know, for a film. And we, I've told this story before, you probably know it, but... Please, I, 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 I was <laughs> hoping you would share it, yes. So I got invited, so when he made the documentary about the making of Darkness... Yes. Um, I got invited to the premiere in London... So, and I took Safraz with me. I said, come on, mate, let's go. And in true fandom style, Safraz stood on one side of the red carpet and I stood on the other side. So with cameras, so that when Bruce walked past, we would both click cameras so we could be in the same frame as yes. Bruce. Right. So we're both standing there and Bruce is walking down and our hearts are fluttering. Oh my God, he's so cool. He, what a cool man. I remember that feeling right now. Yeah. He had all black on, you know, and as he walked around, 
He looked across the carpet and he looked at Safraz. Now, at this point, Safraz has followed this poor guy. <laughs> like, you know, yes. he's been to like about 5,000 concerts all over yes. Europe. And because Safraz has got this huge sort of afro, um, yes. he's very striking looking and he always finds himself at the front of any concert. Right. So by now, Bruce knew that there was this kind of Pakistani kid that would turn up, you know, yes. in all these different places. And there was even a kind of like, huh? What are you doing here? Kind right. of look, you know, now and again. So when Bruce saw Sephiroth, he walked over to him. And I was like, oh, my God, get over there. So I ran across the carpet. Yeah. And we both carried on filming. And Bruce said hey man i read your book it was really moving and safraz was like oh my god yeah, yeah. And, and then i was like oh that's so great Bruce. we want to make a film about it i made bender like beckham i think we can make a great film but we need your support we need the music and he went sounds good talk to john and John Lando was behind him. Yeah. And John Lando said, okay, what's all this about? Yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> and Safraz and I were going 10 to the dozen trying to explain to him everything. And and Safraz had a copy of the book with him and he gave the book to John. And we just said, right, this is what we want to do. Please, can you help us? And there was another woman there who's part of Bruce's dream team called Tracy and Tracy was English is English. And so Tracy exchanged numbers with us and said, well, look, keep in touch. I'll keep an eye on this for you. And that was that. So then after that, we took photos with Bruce, you know, yeah. and we were like just in shock basically. But then the reality hit where we were like, okay, now we have to write a script yes. that is worthy that is worthy of Bruce, you know. Right. And that became the challenge after that. We just we knew we had to write something so good that Bruce couldn't say no to. Mm -hmm. Um the one of the things and I actually reached out to um I have a very small Patreon group. And I asked my listeners, you know, my guys questions. And one of them I think is perfect. Um, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear you thought of it is you have to change the story, right? So two of the major differences is in the book, it talks about the death of his father and him meeting Bruce. I assume you took those out because you had this, you wanted to tell the story of this young man's journey, correct? Yes, we couldn't tell, we couldn't, we couldn't, t yeah, to cover that all the ages in the book, right? Because you know, it was too long. We we had to take a moment, you know. So yeah. we decided to take the moment when he first discovers Bruce, right, and what that means to him, and then how he reconciles that with his father. Okay. So we kept the father alive, you yes. know, and we didn't. We did toy with the idea that in New Jersey they meet Bruce and stuff, right. but it just it just didn't feel right. It was much better that they dreamed of him, really. So 
one of the things when someone reaches out to me as they will be prone to do and go, oh, I, I discovered this movie, Blinded by the Light. You know, it's all about Bruce Springsteen, Jesse. Have you seen this movie? And I'm like, duh, yes. <laughs> and I, you know, yes, I have. Uh, in fact, someone on Twitter last night said, oh, are you watching it for the first time? And I said, no, probably about the dozen time, but yes. Um, and they will tell one of their favorite scenes is um, our young hero going to, you know, the United States and going to Jersey. And I said, I love that scene, but what I, I love even more is the reality of, you know, Sovereigns talking about going after 9-11 and that happened to him. You know, the story that when he was on there, you know, he was so worried at being after 9-11 yeah. and doing that and to have someone greet him. Uh, yeah. So I think that was a perfect thing. Um Andrews, yeah, that would, was so yeah. lovely. That scene was so lovely. It was when so they're, lovely. And they're so nervous and yes. everyone. And in a cinema, you know, the first time I remember seeing the film in a cinema in the States, it was at Sundance, yeah. you know, yeah. and it was a packed audience. And when that scene came up, I could hear people just going, oh, man, oh, man, knowing that there was some shit was going to go down. Exactly. You know? And then when the the uh, passport officials turn around and go, you coming for the bus? You know, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, I can't think of a better reason. Yeah, he, yeah, I can't think of a better reason. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly what they did say to them. You know, yeah. the customs. That's exactly what they said. That's and the whole audience just cheered and clapped. It was such a release. Good. You know? Andrew's yeah. other question is, what songs? Were there any songs that were out of bound? And what did you think about when you were picking the songs? Well, the great thing with Bruce was once Bruce read the script. Yeah. We got the script to him via Tracy. Tracy was a great help. You know, it without Tracy, like this film would never have happened without Tracy. So Tracy really believed in it and loved the story. And so she pushed. And so she got the script to Bruce, you know. And he obviously read it, you know, yeah. because when I came, because in the script, I put all the songs that that we needed. You in know, your mind, it. like, okay, this song needs to be here and there. Yeah, that made sense. And there right. were lots of other songs that we didn't put in, you know, uh, that are wonderful songs, but they didn't fit our story, you know. Yeah. And so I didn't want to be gratuitous about it, you know. Um and and but there were like 20 songs in there you know? yes exactly <laughs> so it's not like you know but when bruce came back after when tracy came back to us after bruce had read the script she, he basically said to her you know give them what they want you know it's a great story give them what they want and she said she thinks that bruce liked the script a lot because it wasn't about him Yes, you know, it wasn't his story. It wasn't about him, and and the cultural connection of someone living, you know, three thousand miles away, you know, from a totally different background, yeah. saw saw what he said. You know, I think that meant a lot to Bruce. But also, there's a lovely story. There was one song that I really wanted to use, which was Jungle Land. Right, that is probably my favorite song. Although that changes all the time. Sure. But 
you know, but I just love the operatic quality of Jungle Land. Yeah. And, and I knew that I wanted to use the sax solo over those scenes with the right wing sort of marching. Yeah. Because the sax solo for me has this, you know, kind of almost, you know, otherworldly quality, you know, and so it just transcends the reality. So I was trying to show this sort of scene of hate, you know, people with like horrible sort of rigid with hate faces with this beautiful, you know, sax music over it, you know. And the, lyrically, the song is very specific, so it, it's very hard to make the lyrics work, except for the last verse, you know. Yes. Um, but I, who was I to edit Bruce's song? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, how am I going to make this work, you know? Yeah. So I was lucky enough to go see him on Broadway. Right. Um, and after the show, I was standing in the little room, um, and he came out and everyone was like, no one kind of knew quite what to say, you know? And then I went up to him and said, you know, we're working on the script. We're really excited. And he goes, yeah, cool. You know, that's great. That's great. And I said, but I have a question I'd like to ask you. Um, and I said, I really want to use the song, but I need to edit the two sections together. Yeah. And I described the scene the, you know the right wing, and I described how Cla what Clarence's solo made me feel like, and how I wanted to use that, and the verse at the end, and I described it in great detail. And Bruce was like just all ears, you know, he'd just done this show, but he was just really focused. And I said, "Do I have your permission to do that?" And he he looked at me and he said, "You know what?" He said, "I think Clarence would have really liked that." you know, and do it for the big man. He went and he looked up and I was like, oh my God. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm tearing up right now. I, yeah. I'm tearing up right now, just hearing I mean, that story. What a, what a response. Yeah. It's just, you know, he yeah. just said parents would have loved it. Do it for the yeah. big man. Oh, that's awesome. Um, one other question for my, um, that my guy sent in, John wanted to know, why do you how do you explain Bruce's fan appeal across outside of the US? What about his message speaks across multiple cultures? And I realize that's a big question, but I'd love to no, hear but your it's thoughts. A simple answer. It's a simple answer. Okay. See, rock music is generally seen as sort of American, right? Rock and roll. Right. Yeah. You know, and British maybe, but yeah. you know, sure. Rock stars are kind of like Americans. And and so everyone's every country around the world recognizes rock music in that way, right? Yeah. And I think that most rock music is about promoting that sort of rock and roll world. Whereas Bruce's music is very rock and roll, but the but lyrically and story wise, it's very universal. Yeah. You know, and it's full of empathy and humanity, and and it's not like, hey man, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and all that. Right. You know, it's very truthful, and I think that's what that's. And so it you relate to it, you know, whoever you are, whichever yeah. 
country you're from, if you're having a bad time finding a partner or if you've broken up or if you're if you can't get a job or if you don't feel good yeah. with your life or you know if you come from a small dead-end town and you want to get out of that town and you know all those things it's completely relatable i mean all music's relatable but i think bruce's music goes that little extra way where even though it's kind of feels and looks like that american rock and roll yeah. thing is actually incredibly relatable which is why i think you have so many diehard fans all over the world who 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 treat him like a savior and as a saint because they, they've grown up together you know they, they've grown yes. up as I mean, that's the thing, going to a Bruce concert is a lot of old guys there, that's for sure. Well, and that's actually one of the things, I'm so glad you joined me, not only because of your brilliant career and your fandom, but I, t someone tweeted that, why don't people ever have female guests on their podcast? And I started looking and based on my, based on Bruce's fandom, and I mean this with all love in my heart. I've got a lot of old white guys that have joined me. Right? <laughs> and, you know, and I'm an old white guy. I, I, I will turn 63 <laughs> this year. So I specifically reached out to, I have, you know, kind of a mailing list. And I said, I'm looking for different voices. I want more um, people from, of, of different genders, maybe we're non-binary i would love some different ages some different you know uh races and uh so and i'm i'm trying to get that out there and and i will always have the 50 something white guy sports reporter that it's mandatory if you're in the east coast and you write sports you like bruce but <laughs> so I, i'm glad you're able to join me and i'm glad you were talking about that yeah, um, but that's okay. You know yeah. what? It is what it is, and and that's okay. Yeah. You know, and one of the funniest things about you know the movie making Blinded by the Light yeah. was the amount of young people who came and right. said, "Oh, I've come because my dad loves Bruce," kind of thing. Yeah, you know? and the, and then they came because of their dads. You know, and yes. then they're like, "But man, he's really good." You know, right. yeah. So I think we brought a lot of new fans to Bruce, I hope, you know, I, under the I hope so too. <laughs> um I I I was at a convention and John Kuzak was there. Oh. And I stood in line, you know, and one of the things I, I I do instead of collecting, you know, buying people's autographs, I have a wonderful friend named Tom Zoller. And so he will do a caricature of the celebrity I'm gonna meet. And so he did one of John Cusack in the Beach Boy striped shirt because he was oh, in yeah. Love and Mercy, right? Yes. And so I had him sign that. And I told John how much Love and Mercy meant to me because yeah. Brian Wilson was my first musical obsession. Then I discovered oh. Bruce. And so now then I, I love them both equally. And, and he looked at me and he said, Brian loved the film and that's all I needed. So I asked that, was that similar to y'all's thoughts that when Bruce said, I love the film, you're like, I hope it's successful. I hope it is. But really, that's that's almost enough. Oh, my God. You so you so don't know, you know, you at one yeah. point you have to. You, yeah, I had to 
forget about Bruce when I was yeah. making the film and just make the film that I wanted to make right. and hope that Bruce came along with it, you know? Because right. if I kept looking over my shoulder going, oh, will Bruce like this? Won't he like this? I would never have been able to, to be free of that to make the exactly. film. That makes sense. Which is, which is why I was able to put a couple of those um, self, you know, those Bruce deprecating jokes. Right. Like, like my fight, fa- one of my favorite lines is when Javid and his friend are meeting and yeah. going out and he quotes uh, Born to Run to him yeah. and his friend says, did you write them lyrics? I told yeah. you they're rubbish. You know? <laughs> yes, like- <laughs> exactly. It doesn't even rhyme. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What, I one, did of the great, great, one of the greatest songs ever. Yeah. You know? Well, what then, I go ahead, please. Yeah, go on, no, go on, go on. No, what I was going to say is one of the things my wife, my wife is a casual fan at best, and she yeah. certainly gets tired of hearing me talk about Bruce. But she loved about the film, and she says it shows the good and the bad of becoming a new fan, the excitement, yeah. but then it's everything is Bruce. And all yeah. of a sudden, you, you know, it, and that is. I don't want to say unhealthy, but it's, you need that perspective. Right. And you showed that well in that film, his, he will always be passionate. Javi will always be passionate about Bruce, but he's learned how all things in moderation to a certain degree. Yeah. But also as a commercial filmmaker, I also wanted to make sure that people who were the misguided saddos who didn't, who weren't Bruce fans, you know, would still like the movie, yes. you know. Um, so I needed to keep that balance in check there. Yeah. But watching the film with Bruce, so yeah. what happened was before I finished the cut, you yeah. know, I, I insisted that I had to show it to him. Like before we signed off on it, I wanted to show it to him to make sure that how I'd use the music, how I'd use the gags, you know, that the whole gag, for example, with um, – you know, when the when the market trader dad, Rob yeah. Bryden, when he looks at the picture of Bruce and says, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Um, Billy Joel. Or no, uh, no, the, Billy Joel, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, yeah, yeah. He says, yeah. you know, is that Billy Joel? Like, like all that, you know, it's close to the bone, you know, so I sure. just wanted to make sure. And so we arranged, I came to New York, and Bruce was on the show mm-hmm. and we arranged a little screening room. And so we all went. So it was basically me, Tracy, uh, John Landau, Barbara and George uh, were there. That So that it was his tight team. We're all sat there. And I was like, oh, my God. Yes. Oh, and I was very, very nervous, I have to say. And then Bruce sort of shuffles in and and I go, hello. Yeah. <laughs> and then I go and sit in the back while Bruce sort of sits right in the front, you know, in the middle. And and then he goes, Okay, let's let's watch the movie kind of thing. So the movie starts and I'm like so nervous that I think, oh, I can't sit in the back. I've got to go forward. So I went and sat sort of diagonally behind Bruce so I could see yeah. his expressions. Right. And as the movie played, I saw him just kind of like, he was like a kid. He was smiling. You yeah. know, he laughed at some of the gags. 
then it all got very heavy of course you know with all mm -hmm. the racism and stuff and, yeah um and so he was like yeah where's this movie going you know i could see he was like yeah it wasn't what he was thinking and yeah. then the, the self-deprecating gags he absolutely laughed at those the sure. border run one he thought was so funny yeah. um when he said did you write those lyrics he thought that was hysterical um and then you know and then the end he was quite moved and but I didn't know completely because I could see his face was going, where are we going here? Where are we going here? Yeah. You know, kind of, and obviously the way I used his music was so different, you know, to the way he uses, he, you yeah. know, he, the way he does it on, 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 the, on it, in his concerts. So in the end, um, the, the, the film finished, there was utter silence, silence. Oh, the, oh no, the only gap, the only gasp in the in the in the um, auditorium was Barbara, his manager, when when the dad tears up the tickets to the concert. Yeah, Barbara gasped and went, "Oh my god!" Like, yes. <laughs> but everyone else was trying to be quiet to let right. Bruce, you know, enjoy it. Anyway, at the very end, there was absolute silence because no one knew what Bruce felt and thought, and so I sort of went to the front to turn the lights on to get my DVD out of the player. And mm -hmm. then I was going to go outside because I thought, let them have some words, you know. And as I went to the front and turned the lights on, I saw him walk, get up and walk towards me. And I turned around and he put his arms around me and he kissed me on the cheek. And he said in my ear, he said, thank you for looking after me so beautifully. Thank you. And that's what I sort of melted and my legs sure. gave way. <laughs> that's awesome. No, then we all sat down and he just just kept saying, great job, great job. And and then everyone asked questions. Um, and the, the I mean, it's all a bit of a blur now. I wish I'd recorded it all. But what I remember was <laughs> Bruce was like, Bruce and John got into a big discussion about, Tiffany, you know, because yes. I, you know, I think mm. we're alone now. Yeah, and he was like really pissed because when that song was out and number one, Bruce couldn't get arrested. You know, he couldn't yeah. get, he just couldn't get a hit in the chart. Yeah. You know, and that brought it all back for him <laughs> with, with that song. You know, That's so awesome. the two of them were sitting there going, "God, that girl." Man, she was number one, and we I couldn't get arrested, you know. <laughs> so that was that kind of one thing that they were really going on about. Um, and then, but he really loved the kind of the politics of it. He said that yes. you know the politics of it. He liked that it was blue collar as well, obviously, um, and that we got the stone pony in, yeah. um, you know, and the and the. Jersey freeze and things like that, yeah. you know, it was very sweet. You know, he loved that yeah. it was so affectionate, I think, you know, right. and then what was great then was, um, when the at Sundance, when the film played to that yeah. massive, massive, uh, audience and huge standing ovation. I mean, it was the most incredible screening of my life that, um, people were starting to call him 
people started calling him because Barbara was with us and she yeah. was, spoke to Bruce and she said, and that, you know, his phone was going off the hook and everyone was just congratulating him and, you know, saying what a great job he'd done. And do you know what? What goes around comes around. You know, we were a small, independent British movie, not a huge budget. Yeah. And Sony, you know, really worked with us because Bruce worked with us. And so we were able to afford those songs, you know, because, you know, because, you know, Bruce helped us, basically. So, you know, the love that came back to him, you know, for That's being awesome. so generous with us. Yeah. It was enormous. You know, I think people like Tom Hanks. Yeah. And, you know, all, like loads of people just like, we're just going, wait, you know. Yeah. And, and I seem to remember there was some conversation with Billy Joel as well because of that gag, you know. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, but I think people were sort of starting to question, well, where's their legacy project? Because uh -huh. it's a legacy project, right? Yeah. Now, Bruce, that's there forever. Whether you're yes. a Bruce fan or not a Bruce fan, yeah. here is someone who, here's a film that really captures how important he is and his music is to a kid, blue-collar kid, growing up on the other side of the world, you know, of Pakistani origin. And it's like, it just shows the reach of his music, you know, and his talent. And and it's encapsulated now. I mean, there'll always be documentaries, and, you know, about artists, and you'll always have that. Yeah. But those, those are different, you know. This is, this is a very different kind of charming... I mean, it's a very different way to appreciate, you know, who you are. You know, it's like me. There's this lovely young artist in Canada. Um, Jagdeep Sena, his name is. And he is Jagdeep Rainer, sorry. Okay. And he, he is, is a painter. And he saw my first film, the one I was mentioning earlier. Yes, ma'am. And he just did a whole bunch of drawings of stills from that documentary. And then he came to England on a scholarship for something and I went to meet him. And then he did a whole bunch of other pictures of work of mine and me just because of what my work meant to him, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's just wonderful. I mean, he's obviously a different generation to me. He's much younger, yeah. but it's so lovely for me to see how much, I'm, I'm mean to that painter and how he's encapsulated into his work. So that's a small thing for me. I think for Bruce, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And, and he, therefore, you know, we wanted to do a premiere where Bruce would come, you know, and celebrate yeah. the film with us. So we, we started thinking about doing it in New Jersey, you know, and we were really happy to do it in New Jersey because we wanted all his people to come right. and celebrate, you know, we wanted Bruce, Bruce fans and people who've grown up with him and stuff. So we did it in New Jersey and it was touch and go. We didn't know if he was going to come or not. And then, and then of course he not only came, he played a set as well, you know, which and, oh, I'm sure. Oh, it was magic. Absolutely. It was magic. I, I, yeah. I, You've been very kind with your time. Just a couple questions, and I'll let you go. Um, sure. I'm a huge Marvel fan, so seeing Haley Atwell, I thought the whole cast was great. But any stories about working with Haley Atwell? Because I'm like, oh, 
it's Agent Carter. It's Agent Carter. His teacher <laughs> is Agent Carter. But wasn't she Agent Carter? Wasn't she Agent Carter after Blinded by the Light? Probably, or maybe right around. Yes. But yes, but in right around. Mind, yeah, yes, because yeah. I didn't know she was a Marvel person at that point. Yeah. Um, Haley is a fantastic actress, and she just loved the script and what it represented. Yeah. Yeah, that was. That was the thing for her. She just was like, oh, my God, what an, what an amazing script. I'm in, you know. And her scenes were, you know, we, we shot them all pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but when she saw the finished film, she sent me such a sweet message um, because she didn't realise how powerful it was going to be. You know, she, she, you know, so as an actor, you do your scenes, you hope for the best, you know, and you go away, you know. But she said it's such a powerful film that she and even though her part was small, she's so glad she did it because because she didn't realize, you know, just how powerful it was going to be. If you are lucky, if you're blessed, you have a teacher like that sometime in your life that sees more in yourself than what you see in yourself. And so I thought that was really well done. The whole cast is amazing. I, I, you know, I, I, your, your lead is, is, you know, he is just such a a handsome, charming lead. Um, You know, uh, Mel, I I thought was just incredibly charming and you could see how he would fall in love with her and, and, you know, and, and Java's father, you know, uh, he, it's easy for the way you could have written this, he could have been the villain in the piece, but he wasn't. It was, it truly was um, Independence Day to bring it back to Bruce, right? Two yeah. people that love each other and just don't know how to say it to each other. Well, you know, when we were writing the script, Bruce had written his book. You yeah. Know? And so we had that as well. And and of course, that's another reason why I think the film meant so much to Bruce was because yes. it was a father-son story, right? You know? And thank God that Bruce's father drove to see him, yes. And they had a beer, and thank God he was able to say, "I wasn't a great dad," yeah. But and I'm sorry, you yeah. know. Thank God, because without that reconciliation, you know, it it would have been tough, you know. Yes, it would have and, been. And so that sort of mirrors the film, you know, in that respect. Yes, and, it is. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because even now, you know, so much of Bruce's songs, there's so much melancholy about them. Yes. Even when they're joyous. Yes. There's still something that is like, no, I just can't quite let go and get into that happy zone you know so so i have two stories to tell you one my wife my wife was sweet enough to send me to new york so i was able to see it on broadway right and i when it came out on netflix i couldn't wait for her to watch and um we got to the part where she was talking about his father he was talking about his father and my wife looked at me and said, this is too depressing. Turn it off. Now, right almost afterwards, as Bruce said, OK, I'm going to get you off suicide watch. And, you know, so he knew that was coming on. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just love that. Um, we we love um, I have a good friend who served 
a lot of years in the Navy and he can't watch a submarine movie without seeing all the mistakes, right? You know, so I want to tell you, there was about a dozen of us all in Dallas that had been on my podcast. We go see the film and we are just sky high. Yet all of us, because we are such jackasses, you know, he quoted the river, but he didn't give him the river CD, the cassette. And (laughs) I said... Well, yes, that's because Javed went to the local record store after having born in the USA and born to run. He went and bought the River Cassette. You, that, we just that's a that's a deleted scene. So, but we all were talking about it. We, we could not resist, right? We we're all like, "Wait a minute!" And, and so, I just wanted to share that story with you about us. Well, you know what? Well, yeah, that. I, I agree with you. I'm always doing that with movies. I'm always looking yeah. at continuity and stuff. So that is a classic yeah, mess up there. We did mess up there. <laughs> well, well, I don't think it was mess up. I think it was, it, I think don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. All right. You have been way too kind on your time. Is there anything that you're working on you want to promote? Um. Well, uh, no, nothing to okay. promote. Just okay. to say, you know, I really appreciate all the love from the spring nuts community you know i have it there on twitter and 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 it was great to share the premiere with so many of you you know i still have that photo with everybody you know i wore my Uh, spring nut shirt specifically to show you the love yes (laughs) i see that and i just think that um you know if if everybody in the world was a springsteen fan you know for the right reasons yeah. Boy, would it be a great world. Just, it? just a couple of weeks ago, I was so proud. Jeff Smith, who is a member of parliament uh, from the Manchester district, joined me on the podcast. And uh, he, and it, if you Google him, he quoted Springsteen in his accepted speech when he was first elected to parliament. And I said, the world would be a lot better if a lot more politicians, you know, quoted Bruce. All right. We're going to end it up with the way I always end. Um, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher. He recently retired. Um, He has a new book out, Bedtime Stories for the Living. But he would spend two days with his honors English class breaking apart Thunder Road. They would treat it as a poem. They would look at the imagery, the lyrics, what Bruce's the themes he was exploring. At the end of the two um, days, he would ask, does Mary get in the car? Garenda, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I really, really want her to get into the car. Yes. But I think she, in the end, is kind of too scared to get in the car. And I say that because because the song has this melancholy side to it where where... The protagonist, you know, is trying to make her, trying to make her, but inside he knows she's not going to. All right. That's about, I have a 60-40 split. About 60% say she says gets in, but a good 40% says she doesn't. Mm. So that's great. Um, Thank you so much for your time. This was so sweet of you to send a Sunday afternoon. If, uh, do you want to give your social media handle? How to find you on Twitter? uh, Twitter, I'm Gurinder C, G-U-R-I-N-D-E-R, capital C. 
yes, check out. Um, I I know everyone listening to this has watched Blind by the Light, Bended by Beckham. Check some of your other films. Um, thank you so much. Stay safe during these crazy times. It is so scary what's going on in the world scary. right now. Absolutely. And uh, so I continue to keep working for justice the way you are. Continue to keep working to make the world a better place. And um, I hope to I hope to see you in a, a show live someday. Definitely, definitely. I'm waiting for yes. come back to England. Yes, oh, indeed. <laughs> All right. Thank you, listeners. Right. Go get vaccinated. Go get boosted. Be kind to each other because that's how we're going to get through this. Thank you all. Goodbye. This podcast would not be possible without my wonderful group of patrons. I want to send a special thanks to John Munson, Mary Thomas, Terry Smith, Dale Hosick, Andrew Goddard, Stephen Malio, Alex Samada, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, Holly Mack, and Captain America, a.k.a. Steve Rogers. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. Your support means the world to me. And you are forever in my heart. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.